You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Hello, everybody. This is Tommy's Outdoors, episode 34, Cycling Through Africa with Cuba Standera. Uh, it's an adventure episode. Cuba was already on a podcast on episode 12, where we talked about fishing, um, fishing and angling. Uh, he's a passionate angler um, with many, 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 many years of experience. And he's also an owner of Pirate Lures, uh, a company that manufactures handmade fishing lures. There are soft plastics for your bass fishing and pike fishing and tuna fishing and what have you. Very good lures uh, for all your fishing needs. Okay. Um, so... That episode, we ended up uh, teasing a little bit about up-and-coming Cuba's adventure uh, when he was about to jump on his bicycle and cycle right through the Sahara Desert uh, to reach his uh, uh, bucket list fishing destination. Um, so guess what? Cuba is back, and obviously I had to get him on the podcast again and talk about uh, his trip and his great cycling and fishing adventure. So in this episode, uh, we get to hear uh, all the stories about preparation for that trip, what, what went into that, and then stories and adventures while Cuba was cycling through Africa, and finally, once he reached his destination, about fishing there. So that's a very interesting episode, especially if you're into stories and adventures. Oh, one other thing um, worth noting is that the cycle was uh, also a fundraiser for Aware.ie. Uh, Aware.ie is a voluntary organization which aims to assist people who, whose lives are affected by depression. Um, so uh, please uh, visit the Aware.ie webpage and donate um, if you wish so. So now, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, big adventure and Cuba Standera. And again with me, Kuba Standera. How are you, sir? Ah, very good. Very uh, good. Right. I'm grand. Right. You're uh you're you're uh you were previously in the episode, was it like twelve? Uh it was angling. But now, yeah. you know, is you moving beyond angling and it's cycling and it's yeah. adventuring and it's angling in the in the background, all the all the uh, things. bikepacking. That's that's the thing that I'm into very much now. Bikepacking. You have a new Instagram account actually. Yeah, I started just to separate from uh, fishing business, mm. separate from manufacturing of the lures, and I try to kind of keep my private stuff apart from professional. Yeah, so, that's a good idea. Yeah, kind of. So the old account is uh, fishing related and pirate lures. Pirate lures, exactly. Yeah, it's all about. Fishing for sea bass, pike, uh, manufacturing lures, new products, and stuff like this. And the new one is just strictly fishing <laughs> and cycling. Good, good. <clears throat> so how's how's the how's the lure going? You have a new th new things. Uh, 
Yeah. Are pretty... we not giving out any secrets? No. Mm, not yet anything to give. Uh, yeah. I'm working on a new model. Mm-hmm. At this stage, we are waiting for the molds to be done for us. Mm-hmm. It's it just takes ages, you know, right. because it's gonna be much more complicated than the previous models. So mm-hmm. we run into small small technical complications. So we are w- waiting for the new molds to be made, and we should be ready. Oh, I hope before Christmas. Wow! So very sure, very soon. Yeah, 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 it's all, all designed, all prepared, like yeah, all ready to go. We are just waiting for CNC guys to perform their miracles. Right, right. It's awesome, man. And uh, so it's gonna be <coughs> you're gonna you're gonna publish that posting on on your Facebook account and so on. This is for all you guys who are into fishing, sea bass fishing, and so on. Yeah, as soon as we have the final models ready, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we've done very extensive testing on the lures during this season. That means that you were just go out fishing. Uh, it's not only me. Few of my friends. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's, 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 that's that's what I mean. Uh, they were testing those. This is the cool part about testing, which means like a testing, but it's not like yeah, a, like a boring, like, boring stuff. Let's that you go, go fishing. You would just, you just go fishing, <laughs> and you have these all these new lures, and like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm testing lures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's me working, you know, honey. Sorry, I have to go fishing because you know, that's you what, understand. That's what, <laughs> it's that's just what it's work. all about. That's yeah. what it's all about. That's great. That's one of the big things turning hobby into a job, right? Yes, but the other thing is sometimes you are a bit overwhelmed, like. Yeah. Uh, Conditions are perfect, but you are mm-hmm. sitting manufacturing them, uh, yeah. working on new designs, uh, kind of compilating all the data that is coming back to you, all the feedback that's coming back to you from yeah. your testers. Yeah. And trying to put it all together into a new model. Yeah. Can you, can, you walk, can, you, can, you walk us, can you walk us through it without giving out any, obviously, any, any trade secrets, but how you're... Uh, how you're uh, modifying what you're doing based on the feedback. So how does it look like? So you you get a feedback. So like, well, that lure is like too heavy, too light. Mm, exactly. Uh, mm. People are saying, for example, uh, there is not enough flex in the lure. So mm-hmm. what I'm doing, I'm trying to find a different ratio of the plastic, different softness of the plastic. Mm. And I'm sending them lures again. And they are saying like, ah, this time you went a bit too far. It's too soft. So right. maybe try to find something in between okay so again i'm trying to find another plastic mix like an iterative process exactly then they are saying for example uh we think that a good idea would be to add ice to your lures Mm. so it's a major complication when you have to manufacture the mold not from the silicone as usually they are made but Mm -hmm. but from aluminium yeah it's uh, machined from aluminium so you have to include this in the cut design uh-huh. And then you have to find a person who's able to work on specifics and give you yeah. the details that you are after. Yeah, yeah. Then they are saying, for example, uh, the profile of the lure is great, but we think it's a bit too large. Mm-hmm. The previous one models were 14 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Then I've introduced the 17 centimeters, mm-hmm. which uh, turned out lure, to be a bit... Fish. Yeah, but people were kind of put off by the size of the lure. Oh. Uh, for me, you know, it, it's very simple. Big lure, big fish. Yeah. When it comes to bass, why not? Like 17 mm. centimeters. Yeah. It's not anything huge by any large bass standards. Yeah. 
So then listening to my customers, I introduced the 11 centimeters model, mm -hmm. which was the smallest one. It was called Baby Treats. Mm. And it turned out to be a huge success. I think that even mm. bigger than the initial model, Bass Treat, mm. Baby Treats, they were just slaying fish. Like uh, the feedback I was getting from my testers was like, it's amazing. Right. And the same was happening for me in Spain. Like the amount and variety of the fish uh, from freshwater bass, largemouth mm -hmm. bass, uh, sea bass, all the saltwater fish, uh, you know, it was the hit. Yeah. The only problem was, at least for me, it was tat on the light side. Mm -hmm. It's perfect for, let's say, early spring application. Mm -hmm. When you are fishing over shallow ground, over mm -hmm. shallow reefs, that's a perfect lure. Mm -hmm. but I was looking for something a bit chunky. You know, kind of um, going back to the initial design of bass streets, which mm -hmm. were 22 grams. The mm -hmm. smaller model was 11 grams. So oh. my problem is that uh, I'm using kind of heavy tackle, mm -hmm. heavy braids, uh, heavy rods. Mostly, it's a, it's a weight of the lure itself without without it being rigged with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's just the plastic. Mm. So the previous 22 gram model was excellent for casting. The large one was almost 40 grams, so it yeah. was even better. Yeah. Um, you see, my problem is, like, if you are fishing in Spain, um, today, you like, one cast, you are getting sea bass, then you can get a bluefish, then you can get a barracuda, mm. amberjack, mm. Uh, bonito, albacore. You never know what's going to happen. Mm. So I'm unable to go so light with the tackle as here in Ireland. Yeah, uh, your rods they have to be so they were not working to 60 80 mm. grams casting weight. Mm. But uh, my friends fishing here in Ireland they had huge success with baby trees because they were light, they were mm. very slim profile, right? Uh, they still kept the original action mm -hmm. colors and everything, so they were quite happy. But I decided to try to explore something in between mm -hmm. just to find a better proportion. Yeah, but also because the large model uh, turned out to be quite a good lure for pike, surprisingly for me. <laughs> you know, like a few of my friends, they started using it for canal fishing. Yeah, and they were always saying, you know, like it's really good, but it's that too small for us. You know, seventeen centimeters is almost perfect, but twenty, twenty mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. would be much better. So the new model, it will come in two sizes. One will be for bass. And one will be really big for pike. Right. Uh, I think around 10 inches, something like wow. this. Wow. And now you're phasing out the old models? Or you're no, 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 no. No, okay. So you're just, just expanding I'm just the offering. I'm just adding new offer. I think that the older models, they are perfect. You mm -hmm. know, like um, the amount of positive feedback I got was just overwhelming. I was really surprised by... Yeah. By the variety of fish and conditions, like from mm -hmm. Portugal, Spain, Italy, mm -hmm. France, Holland, uh, some parts of Poland, mm. uh, different fish, uh, sea bass, uh, largemouth bass, yeah. uh, bluefish, everything, everything, including everything that swims, including freshwater fish like pike and asp, yeah, asp, uh, even asp, yeah. Some guys were trying them for on us. The, on the small ones or on the big ones? Small ones. On the small ones, yeah. yeah. So wow. the variety of fish that can be got uh, mm. with the lure was really surprising. But 
I just decided, you know, the first model, I was just starting my company. It was mm -hmm. just at the stage of doing see research, how mm -hmm. seeing how it goes, uh, being kind of trying to keep it safe, yeah. not spending much. <laughs> uh, this time I thought, you know, if I spend more time on engineering the model, mm -hmm. And uh, not only on testing, on doing different mm -hmm. mixes, trying to find the perfect ratio of the plastic yeah. and stuff like this, but also engineering, it might be, you know, very good idea. Yeah. So I teamed up with uh, my friend. Uh, it's kind of like his hobby. Right. And uh, he helped me to create the model. Mm-hmm. And then he started doing all the anal analysis, like, you know, the aerodynamic, uh, hydrodynamic, how oh. the waves are, you know, like once it's pushing through the water, how the water is working on it. Wow. And then we started doing small tweaks, like, you know, maybe if we made the tail a bit thinner, mm -hmm. it will change the hydroacoustic wave a bit mm -hmm. because he sees this from design like he's doing he's able to run the simulation yeah and he sees that you know it's changing a lot right so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be very advanced model though we try to keep with the pedigree from the original bus trees that we are yeah we've been doing all the year uh, so you're a very successful man in other yeah. words are you not? Are you, are you not? Are you not afraid that this this is gonna lose a little bit of a <clears throat> of a you know the charm for the want of a better word of like a handmade lures? Now you're going but into like a serious stuff, hydrodynamic analysis of the of the wave and. How but it's still handmade. Yeah. Uh, my, oh, of course. My idea is, uh, if you have uh, tools, yeah. why not to use them? Yeah. Uh, it's like. Like a best of both worlds. Yeah, really. like you can hit the plastic in microwave, but it's like insisting that you should start a bonfire outside and hit the plastic, <laughs> you know, using coal or something like this. It doesn't make any sense. We have the tools. Mm. Uh, we can work on them. We can adjust the design much faster. Yeah. Uh, the things that we've been running into creating the previous model, Bass mm -hmm. Streets, Mm -hmm. uh, various stages of the concept models, mm -hmm. uh, different ideas that we had, mm -hmm. um, different changes that we made to the design. Yeah, uh, because it was not flying properly, it was not acting in the water properly as we wanted. Yeah, and every time we had to do a new mold, uh, do new testing, order the stuff. Mm -hmm. Now we are just sitting in front of computer and yeah, yeah. trying to adjust everything. Right. So the final model that we will be getting out hopefully before Christmas. Mm -hmm. I think it's um, third model in line. Right. Uh, after all the modifications added, testing testing it with different fish, then modifying again, mm -hmm. then going through the software, then testing again, yeah. going Holding through the, the software. Process. So how many iterations usually how many iterations it takes to develop like a properly developed lure? It depends because um, like Every single model is changing. Mm -hmm. uh, even if I add, like, if I change the, with previous ones, we change the dimension from 14 centimeters to 11 centimeters. Mm -hmm. They look very same, but they are not the same. Yeah, look. that changes everything. The right? profile is completely different. 
mm -hmm. uh, the ratio between the length and width and uh, mm -hmm. weight is completely different. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. even though they look very similar. Uh, yeah, it only looks like it's a similar, but because, yeah, it, because of a change of the size, everything changes. It, uh, it looks really almost the same. Hmm. But adding or losing 10, 15% of the girth of the lure, mm -hmm. um, it, the it changes the performance of the lure drastically, right. dramatically. Right. Like basically you are getting new lure. It behaves completely different yeah. way. It flies completely different way. Hmm. Now, thanks to the uh, software support, we can predict how it's going to fly. We can calculate the center of the weight for the lure. Uh, we get uh, all the ideas that before that it was just a trial and error, trial yeah, and error, yeah. you know, like going through the silicon molds. Yeah. So that's kind of speed up the process before you hit the water with the lure. It's already reasonable. You have a already reasonable idea how it's going to fly, yes, how it's going to work. Yes, but the thing is that the lure was tested in the water too. Mm -hmm. So like we we get the idea. Okay, so it's going in parallel. You, you yeah. In par oh, okay, yeah. okay. Like and is it like a sp this special software for, for, for lure development or is it like a regular? No, 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 no. it's just uh, the cut design. All oh, right, right, right. So there is no magic. It's not like hmm. um, how to make your soft lure design cuts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something yeah, like this. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay, would you would you would you like to plug in uh, your your website now and like how where people can go to, to buy your lures? Um, yes, of course. Uh, with introduction of the new lure, we'll be opening the online store. Oh, so on www.piratelures.com, you will find everything, all the information, uh, all the rigging techniques. Uh, all the presentation ideas mm -hmm. for the lure, how you should present the lure for the mm -hmm. predator, how you should retrieve the lure. Mm -hmm. wow. um, plus online store, so we can order them. Oh, whatever that's, quantity, that's, that's huge. colors, sizes, whatever you mm -hmm. want. Also, I think that they be available through our company stores, mm -hmm. which is Southside Angling mm -hmm. and Lure Geek okay. or Lure Fishing for Seabass in UK. Okay, so it's gonna be like a selected shops. You're not gonna, you're not gonna, you you, you won't get them in a, your regular tackle shop. We are not Savage Gear. You know, it's uh, mm. still mostly one man operation. Mm -hmm. Now I have a lot of support from my friend, mm -hmm. and he's helping me a lot with designing. Yeah. But it's still it's uh, handmade, right? It is and it's not because, you know, um, we moved from doing a master copy, basically carving a master copy, then mm -hmm. going through the silicone molds, mm -hmm. stuff like this. So it is still hand poured. Yeah. Uh, but the design is mm -hmm. uh, much more advanced than anything that you can do mm -hmm. in such a short time of one year. Yeah by computer mm -hmm. by just experience yeah. and manual creation of yeah. the doors and it's it's great it's great to hear you know like that that that's that's moving ahead so uh www.piratelures.com exactly that's the website and i'm sure it's gonna be up by the time this this podcast will air um okay listen i, I want to switch gears a little bit the last time we ended up uh recording you were about to leave for your uh, cycling trip uh, yeah. to Africa and all that. <laughs> now now you're back. 
how it yeah. how it went like walk us through the the process it, what happened and you know it started all because of fishing of course uh, yeah so just just to remember you were you were about yeah. to cycle through sahara desert to go fishing that was the plan yeah, yeah. that was the plan it's like awesome yeah uh, all started with the legend about the place called takla mm-hmm. And from a few years back, I heard legends about the Dakla, which is um, from the legend. It was a fishing village, south-south Morocco, close to the border with Mauritania. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's over 2,000 kilometers from Spain. So if you are landing in uh, Tangier, mm-hmm. you have still over 2,000 kilometers to cover mm-hmm. just to get south to the Morocco. Mm-hmm. So legends about huge learfish, huge corvinas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are one of the best fighting fish you can get mm-hmm. in Europe. And they all caught from shore. Yeah, okay. that, that's the beauty of this. It's all shore-based fishing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, fishing from beaches, fishing from rocks. Huge sea bass, huge spotted sea bass. Like every single person I met in Spain, uh, every single angler. They heard about this place in Morocco that it's really good for fishing. Mm-hmm. Then some were able to say not only that there is this magical place in Morocco, but they were saying, yeah, it's called Dakla. Mm-hmm. So I started doing my research and yeah, it's, yeah, this place really exists. <laughs> so I, you know, it was the first positive thing. The second shock was it's a city, mm-hmm. 100,000 people living there. Wow. Uh, hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. Wow. One of the biggest fishing fleets uh, in Africa. Oh. One of the that biggest. Doesn't sound, that doesn't sound. Yeah, doesn't that's sound good. a bit of deal breaker. Yeah. But still, information that I was getting was really positive. Mm-hmm. The biggest concern was, of course, about the safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. From usual point of view you know you are going to africa you are going to sahara you have the al-qaeda of the maghreb which mm-hmm. is operating somewhere there mm-hmm. we are just probably in europe not aware of the distances mm-hmm. yeah. uh, somewhere there means one and a half thousand kilometers farther mm-hmm. it's like being afraid to go to helsinki mm-hmm. because you had riots in paris Mm-hmm. That's yeah. more or less that absurd. Yeah. So I started doing my research about the place. Mm-hmm. The initial idea was just to do a um, car trip with few friends, pack the car and go there. You know, just this romantic idea of mm-hmm. uh, road trip, you know, driving there. Mm-hmm. But as the time was progressing and as the date of the departure or booking tickets and everything was getting closer, mm-hmm. uh, I started to be aware that it's not going to happen. It, it always falls apart. And always like falls it, apart. It's like, yeah, 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 dude, we're Let's going, we're going. And, and the closer date is wife, like, ah, you know, I have this stuff going on here. Yeah, my wife is not happy. I'm a waiting child. I'm busy at work. You know, usual mm. stuff of life. Lack of commitment. No, to it's... The fishing. <laughs> it's just... Maybe some people don't... Are not so extreme into <laughs> going after... That's for sure, like, Kuba, I can assure you some people are not extreme <laughs> as you. That's true, that's for no, sure. It, uh, I don't 
mean it in this way like i totally understand you know mm. if you have a family thing mm. going mm. if you are busy at work you can't just say ah sorry you have to wait baby you have to wait my wife have, has to wait everything has to wait i'm going fishing yeah exactly i'm going fishing and i'll be back in two two weeks or two months or whatever the time uh, luckily i was in position that i was able to say so and my loving wife she's she understands my condition <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could we covered that in detail in the previous yeah. episode of the podcast uh, how you carefully laid out all your personal life and everything to yeah, to, to be able to do what you do <laughs> she's kind of very forgiving when it comes to my psychosis you know fishing psychosis that i have from time <laughs> to time so yeah i, I decided you know mm. the only possible solution for me is just to cycle there i'm unable to afford uh, driving there on my own mm -hmm. because of the petrol cost they will just kill me Oh, ferry really? plus the petrol plus everything it's mm. just too much for a single person to handle right so what's the cheap alternative when i was like bicycle. looking around my bicycle so yeah i prepared my bicycle uh it was a fat bike so really really wide tires mm -hmm. but um, it's good for sand right you were expecting to cycle a lot on sand. That, that was my idea you know like uh mm. i'd be going through a very rough terrain uh, a lot of sand a lot mm -hmm. of beach driving uh mm -hmm. beach cycling stuff mm -hmm. like this so you know that mm -hmm. that's pro po possibly the best tool you can get yeah Uh, then I ordered uh, the pannier bags from a Polish company, mm -hmm. and they were perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, I was really surprised by the quality. Mm -hmm. uh, they are manufactured in Czech Republic mm -hmm. and sold through a Polish company called mm -hmm. Alpine Bike. And they are really surprisingly good. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I kind of skipped in the picture was that, you, of course, you can get all the stuff that you need, But because you are not traveling by motorized means, mm -hmm. like all the way that you are covering is just by your muscle, mm -hmm. uh, you should probably start reducing your weight because mm -hmm. every single gram has to be carried mm -hmm. out by your own mm -hmm. muscles. Mm -hmm. So probably carrying around 12 kilos of just fishing equipment <laughs> was not such a great idea. I ended up with the bike which weighed at around 55, maybe 57 Whoa. kilos with all the tackle on it. Whoa. Because the fat bike itself is not light. No, the bike itself was probably around 20 kilos maximum. It's with, not light, man. <laughs> with all the bags, panniers. And, yeah. But, you know, I'm kind of a chunky person. So mm. for me, the difference between 16 and 20 kilos, it's not mm. not much of the difference. Yeah, yeah. If you weigh, if you're, you know, your own starting weight is over 100 kilos mm -hmm. four or five kilos here and there doesn't mm -hmm. make any real difference is it or, or it makes huge difference because you're no, really i don't think so all right i think it's just proportion of your body you know yeah, if you are perhaps. very slim let's say 60 70 kilos mm -hmm. five or ten kilos for you is mm. substantial amount of your own body weight if you're mm. 110 five kilos is just yeah, yeah <laughs> you don't like getting your haircut, haircut. Yeah. Something like this. So as I said, like over 55 kilos on a bike. Mm -hmm. 
white tires, a lot of drag on the tires, mm -hmm. uh, low gearing because mm -hmm. uh, it's a fat bike, so yeah. it's not the speed demon that you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you know this saying like, fail to prepare, prepare to fail? Yeah. That's exactly how my trip went. <laughs> you know, it should be. But you've done your research. Motto. You've done all the all the yeah. all the right things. Surprisingly, not enough. Wow. So the route that I planned, it was on the road N1. It's the national road that goes from the Tangier up to Dakla. Mm -hmm. One road on the coast. Mm -hmm. Simple. Simple. Hard to get lost somewhere. <laughs> yeah. In there, the problem was uh, the amount of traffic. Yeah. The thing that I did not, didn't anticipate mm -hmm. was the amount of traffic. Mm -hmm. Basically, all the time you are being passed by trucks, cars, buses, uh, stuff like this. Permanent traffic. Yeah, it's just deafening. Yeah, you know the roar of the engines, the amount of the diesel fumes that you are breathing. Yeah. It's just after a day of cycling, you are not only tired, but your head, it feels like, you know, like someone put you're, you you're into the metal can, yeah. can and just shake it for a few yeah. hours. Yeah, it's, it's true. Like, like our, our friend, friend of the podcast, Thomas McIntyre, he's like right now, as we speak, cycling down the length of Africa. And uh, he was saying that, like, you know, he's trying to pick up like a side road as much as possible precisely to avoid traffic yep. like like exactly that you said that this is a big issue and the other problem with the road is a coastal road so it's never flat all the time you are going mm -hmm. uphill or downhill yeah uh picking a secondary i roads, think that can be i think that for some that can be actually the advantage if they're into cycling more than into like because uh, let's get clear you were for you it was a commute right that was you very you, much you yeah. want to get to the point rather than enjoy the process of cycling oh no it's it was supposed to be you know the major adventure for me mm -hmm. but the thing was yeah. that if your bike is so heavy yeah every single hill will just basically like, like a 60 kilo fat bike is not yeah. exactly a climbing bike <laughs> it's not what not you would, exactly. not, <laughs> no. not what you would call climbing bike so when i landed in morocco Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing I was going from the Algeciras mm -hmm. uh, where I have mm, where I spent the summer mm -hmm. just let's start with this um, I spent the summer in Algeciras mm -hmm. because I wanted to get used to the climate yeah you know if you are coming from islands like this year mm -hmm. we had marvelous summer mm -hmm. but it's not very typical yeah. So if your medium temperature is around 10 degrees, 15 degrees maximum in mm -hmm. the summer, and you are landing somewhere when it's 38 and 40 degrees, mm -hmm. uh, just a difference in the temperature will just make yeah. it very, very harsh for you. Then yeah. add to this uh, enormous physical strain, mm -hmm. like cycling on a heavy loaded bike, mm -hmm. 80 kilometers every day. Mm -hmm. It's just getting to the point when it's dangerous. Yeah. So you're so exhausted that you're not paying attention to all the stuff. That but you it's also kind of destroying for your body. You know, your body mm -hmm. is not used to these temperatures, mm -hmm. not used to the amount of uh, physical strain that you are putting on it. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's unable to regulate the temperature. Mm -hmm. So the, your chances of getting a heat stroke or something like this are really high. That's mm -hmm. why I decided to move to Algeciras a bit earlier, mm -hmm. two months before my trip. Mm. Just to kind of get used to hot get used weather to the hot weather and cycling in hot weather, yeah. and it was really really tough at the start. Mm. You know, cycling when it's thirty five outside. Yep, that's a completely different deal than cycling in Ireland. Mm -hmm. There is no way of cooling yourself. Mm -hmm. um, the mm -hmm. amount of water that you require for such cycling is just enormous. Yeah, few liters every day. Just to cover the loss, yeah, uh, that it. goes through you all the time. Yeah. So that that's why I got to the ferry from Algeciras, mm -hmm. and to my surprise, the ferry landed in Tangier. But I didn't knew this before. I didn't know this before. There are two Tangiers. One is Tangierville, which is a major city, <laughs> and one is Tangier Met. You ended up in the wrong Tangier. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man. Okay, so let's wind back for a second. So, so you moved to Al Hasiras? Is that the name? Yeah, just to just for two two months. Yeah, just and you just acclimatize. You just get used to the temperature, all yep. that, all that, and then you said, okay, now I'm gonna pull the trigger. You packed your bike. You get on the on the ferry. You get to Tangier. Ended oh, up being in even my stars. You know, like I finally managed to pack my bike. Mm -hmm. I was. I was living in the apartment on the eighth floor of the building, mm -hmm. so I had to get a lift down. Mm -hmm. So I got my bike outside with all the pannier bags and everything. Mm -hmm. I started closing the door and the kick leg on the bike broke and all the bike with all the equipment fall down like uh, oh. through the stairs, one floor down. <laughs> oh, and I was Jesus. like, oh, that's a good start of the trip. Luckily, the bike was okay, mm -hmm. nothing damaged, mm -hmm. uh, except of my dignity, <laughs> probably. <laughs> So I packed myself on the ferry. How do you how do you pack your rod? You, do you have like a like a fishing rod? Do you have like a, a, a multi part travel rod yeah. that was small? Yeah. Or like I went with uh, four piece rods. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, nine foot long. I just I'm just I just remember vaguely when you know from my first uh, steps in Ireland when I was obviously also cycling to the fishing spot and I had this you know enormous. Uh, beach caster two-piece beach caster mm. rod and i was kind of cycling with that it was like either it was like a sticking out of my back like a like a like an antenna and i was like careful to not <laughs> you should go medieval you know the, like hold yeah, it in your yeah, hand yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so then the next thing was kind of to strap it into, into the top tube on the, on the on the bike so that's what's my question like you had like a proper travel yeah proper rod. travel rods that were strapped to one of the back panniers okay and okay. out of the way as you were getting mm -hmm. on the bike or out yeah. of the bike so somebody seeing you cycling wouldn't say like oh this guy is cycling to go fishing <laughs> no but sticking out though they were people i met in morocco they always thought that you know i have some kind of engine hidden hidden <laughs> in one of the panniers yeah. and because of the rods they were stretching out they thought it's yeah. exhaust pipe <laughs> something <laughs> like this they were always really surprised to find that it's oh, okay. fishing rods and there is no water in the uh, okay 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 so i landed in tangier and i looked at the gps and i was like uh, guys <laughs> did i get to the wrong ferry or what's the story mm -hmm. because the tangierville where i was supposed to start mm -hmm. was 50 kilometers from there 50 50 kilometers wow. 
through the mountains mm-hmm. on a very narrow road with extreme traffic. Mm-hmm. Wow. So just uh, sounds like perfect start. Perfect start. Yeah. And they packed me to the bus uh, from the ferry. They packed me to the bus. We went to the passenger terminal mm-hmm. where the custom said I'm unable to pass through because they have to scan my bags mm-hmm. and uh, my bike. It mm-hmm. all have to go through the X-ray, mm-hmm. and my bike is too big to fit through these scanners. <laughs> so I have to go back uh, through the car exit. Okay. Not the passenger exit, but through the car exit. The car so okay. It was at least an hour just because this port is huge. Mm-hmm. It's newly built by Morocco. They mm-hmm. needed uh, deep water access uh, mm-hmm. from the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. So they created maybe 10, maybe 15 years ago, a new port, huge one, really wow. ready to yeah, any big, ship that big ships and come stuff, inside. Yeah. So it took me probably an hour just to get to the car exit. Mm-hmm. Then all the procedure, uh, you know, like I was passing through, waving my passport because they are stamping your passport on the ferry. Mm-hmm. And the customs, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, go, go, go. Mm-hmm. Because I was so late, all the cars went through, so mm-hmm. I was the only one going through the border. Okay. And then as I was just passing through, I heard like, ah, stop you, sir, stop, stop now. <laughs> so I kind of panicked, what's the story? And one of the customs, he came out of his uh, office and he said, I've never seen bike like this. I need a selfie with your bike. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we started the story, you know. Mm, uh, okay. Exactly about the trip, and they were like, "Are you aware how far Dakla is from here?" Mm-hmm. They said, "You know, it's a different, different end of our country, and it's a really long country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's probably the size of Norway, something like this." Yeah. So, yeah, and I said, "Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. um, I know where I'm going." Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they looks in their eyes, they were kind of like, you're <laughs> not really sure <laughs> that you really do. <laughs> so I started cycling towards the Tanger, mm-hmm. but after 15 kilometers, I was completely flat. The mm-hmm. amount of traffic that goes between those uh, two Tangiers, mm-hmm. uh, constant heavy traffic, uh, cargo going from the ferries. Yeah. Uh, plus the roadworks that they are having, so huge trucks, mm-hmm. heavy loaded trucks. Yeah. I was lucky enough uh, on the petrol station that I was passing through. Mm-hmm. There was a Toyota Hilux pickup with empty beds on the back and two guys just sitting and chilling. And I said, like, okay, now or never. Mm-hmm. I came to them and do you speak English? Yes, we do, which wasn't very usual uh-huh. uh, through my trip. And I explained my situation, you know, I'm kind of mixed up. I landed in wrong, wrong Tangier and mm-hmm. road is just dangerous and very mm-hmm. tiring. Any chance that you are going to Tangier and can give me lift? And I said like, yeah, sure. Drop your bike to the bed of the truck and let's go. Oh, <laughs> we cool. are just about to leave to Tangier. So I got hitchhiked with, with my bike. Awesome. For the most difficult part. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised, you know, how those drivers are operating there. Mm-hmm. The road is really narrow, like mm-hmm. the country country roads in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Really steep. Mm-hmm. The amount of traffic, it's just insane. Mm. Old cars, new cars, trucks, buses, uh, guys riding on the donkeys, guys <laughs> uh, like dogs running across the road, children on the sides of the road. It, it, it's just 
such a chaos. Yeah. So they got me to the Tangier. And mm-hmm. Tangier is just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. One of the most beautiful cities I've ever seen. The proper Tangier. Proper Tangier. <coughs> really highly recommended. Go to Tangier mm-hmm. for holidays. Mm-hmm. So I passed through the Tangier. I started cycling. Mm-hmm. And my plan was to go to the place which is called Asilna. Mm-hmm. That's a small city, small town, mm-hmm. past the Tangier, like first major town, maybe 50 kilometers from mm-hmm. Tangier. But because I got all the delay from the port and then mm-hmm. I was in the wrong place mm-hmm. and stuff like this, I knew that I won't be able to make it. And mm-hmm. it was, it started to get dark. Mm-hmm. I landed on the beach. Mm-hmm. I just decided that you know it's really yeah. getting dark did you had a did you had a tent with you yes or yes, you, yes. You I, I was okay. pre i was prepared to be you know self self-supported self-supported completely mm-hmm. so i had tent i had water all my cooking stuff okay, that, that's okay. why the bike was so goddamn heavy yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so i landed on the beach mm-hmm. and there was a fishing hut mm-hmm. Bo- boats and everything and you know, it was my first day in Morocco, first mm-hmm. day in Africa. I was really concerned about safety, mm-hmm. how it's going to be if I'm safe, if mm-hmm. someone will come at the night and try to hurt me or steal my bike. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, pure ignorance of mm-hmm. white people from Europe. Mm-hmm. So I got to the guys and started chatting with them, mm-hmm. trying to explain myself first in English, mm-hmm. no luck. Then in Spanish, my basic Spanish mm-hmm. was not much better. Mm-hmm. Because guys were speaking only Arabic, mm-hmm. and th- th- there is this beautiful invention which is called Google Translate. You can type whatever you want to mm-hmm. your phone, and then it's mm-hmm. even speaking in the mm-hmm. language. So mm-hmm. that's what really saved me a lot during this trip. Right. Did I you th- had a Did you had like a car that was uh, you were you were in in, in the ro- you were roaming on your phone? Or no, you, were, you no. had a, like a local... on on the border crossing. There are guys. You just uh, got the local card on the border crossing. Just behind the customs, mm-hmm. next building is guys uh, that are selling SIM cards. Okay. So for, I think, 20 euros, mm-hmm. equivalent of 20 euros, you mm-hmm. get unlimited uh, broadband. Yeah. Very fast. That's handy. That's really surprising. Where, wherever I was in Morocco, mm-hmm. there was always 4G high-speed broadband. Better than the rural Ireland, huh? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a lot. A lot of difference but honestly you are in the middle of the desert mm-hmm. uh 30 kilometers from the closest town mm-hmm. um, not a single structure built by man mm-hmm. within your eyesight mm-hmm. except of the road that you are standing on mm-hmm. and you can still watch movies on netflix with <laughs> high definition <laughs> That's really impressive. That's awesome. So I stopped on the beach. I started chatting with the guys through the translator. Mm-hmm. And they were getting kind of stiff. And I thought, like, what's the story? You know, they are just fishermen. Mm-hmm. So they started chatting, talking within themselves. And they asked for some someone in the building, in mm-hmm. their hut. Mm-hmm. And there comes the guy in the uniform. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they are not fishermen. It's a border patrol by Royal Moroccan Marines. <laughs> you took them for fishermen. <laughs> yeah, and they are guiding the beach for... They, they are watching their border and guarding the beach because of the Spaniards. So here I am speaking Spanish. <laughs> <and kind of laughs> 
It's the regarding border just precisely from the types of like you. <laughs> exactly. And it was, you know, you can see from their faces that that's the worst, worst nightmare coming true. Spaniards came <laughs> on their beach. That's what they were <laughs> on the bike. For, they're they're invading us on the bikes. Exactly. And I, I was just trying to explain, you know, guys, if it's possible, if I just place my tent next to your mm-hmm. uh, stuff, because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously... Mm-hmm. It's going to be a protected area. Mm-hmm. They said it's not possible. But they contacted their boss, mm-hmm. main boss mm-hmm. from the town. Because he speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. I started speaking Spanish with him. And maybe after two sentences, he's like, uh, your Spanish is really poor. Like, where <laughs> are you from? man? Because obviously <laughs> you are not Spanish. And I told him I'm from Poland. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest surprise of the trip. Uh if you say to someone in Morocco that you are from Poland, they are like, whoa, that's great. We love Poland. And I was like, what's, well, what's the story? Surprisingly, Poland is really well known in Morocco. Oh. Mostly through the, due to the Robert Lewandowski. Oh, okay. The footballer. Yeah. They are all like, ah, oh, Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, you okay. are from Poland. That's great. <laughs> okay. So once they heard that I'm from Poland, they said, like, no problem. You can leave your tent next to our uh, mm. hut. Just uh, if we may ask, be gone by the morning because we may run into trouble. You know, if there is any inspection or something yeah, like yeah, this, yeah, sure. it won't be good for us. Okay. So th- that was, you know, big adventure first day. Mm. Then on and the that's s- just first day. That's just the first night. Yeah. Then on the second day... I had to cover a road to the place called La Racha. Mm-hmm. But because from the first day I lost so much time, mm-hmm. it added around 20 kilometers to my road. Mm-hmm. So instead of covering maybe 60 kilometers, I had to cover around 85, mm-hmm. 85 kilometers with very, very steep hills uh, between. So it was really one of the most effort I had in all mm-hmm. the trip just climbing those hills and you know it's just a start of your trip you are soft you are not used to mm-hmm. this amount of effort you are not used to the heaviness of your bike mm-hmm. so i went through asila which is beautiful town highly recommended small town but beautiful mm. and people there are so friendly <laughs> that's one of the things that you I've noticed in Morocco like uh, people were warning me that uh, Moroccans they be very aggressive trying to sell me something mm-hmm. um, they will beg for money they will demand money from me yeah. nothing like this happened through all the trip yeah. i was really surprised how friendly those people are and how safe it is in morocco mm. major concern which was safety turned out not to be concerned at all not at all that's one of the safest places i know it's much safer than spain mm. it's much safer than tala in dublin or mm. places like this you can walk there in the evening. No one will bother you. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I you know, kind of can relate to that. Uh, it was like a 10, 8 or 10 years ago when I was in, in, in Guinea-Bissau, mm. when at the time I was... Your also, famous trip. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah that was... And I was also like, oh, Jesus, man, this country is destabilizing, poorest country, like whatever. And and I was talking to the, the the guy who was organizing those trips there, and he said like, "Well, look, it's safer than in Manchester, man. 
So yeah. like <laughs> exactly. get the get the proper you know. exactly like the idea that uh, you'll be welcomed by a bunch of uh, talibs, Al Qaeda, ISIS waving machetes, machetes mm. and waiting just to execute you. It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just absurd. Mm-hmm. And uh, to all the trip, all the people I met were friendly, uh, very very helpful. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, every single person I met was friendly. It's great. So it's very positive thing about Morocco. Mm. But the Asila, some somehow GPS it ran me through the marketplace, mm-hmm. the major market street, mm-hmm. and it was not something that I was expecting to be thrown mm-hmm. thrown on. Mm-hmm. You know, my second day in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Market Street is just quite narrow mm-hmm. with tons of sellers. Mm-hmm. They they are selling everything, uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, eggs, meat, fish. Mm-hmm. All this stuff is in huge heat. The mm-hmm. water is melting from the fish and the ice that they are on. Mm-hmm. The blood is dripping from the butcher stands mm-hmm. and parts of the meat. Mm-hmm. Then the eggs are being thrown on the ground, the rotting fruit and vegetables. It's all mixed by the hundreds of people that are passing through. Yeah. Donkeys that are passing through, uh, mopeds that are passing through. Uh, it, all the ground, it was just covered by some kind of slime, maybe mm-hmm. two centimeters thick. Mm-hmm. It was like walking on the ice. Oh, God. And the smell of that place, it's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that you can describe by the words. Mm-hmm. And the huge contrast was some of those uh, sellers, they were extremely poor. Mm-hmm. Some of the buyers, they were extremely poor. You can see that, mm-hmm. you know, basically all they have is packed on the donkey that they are mm-hmm. pushing through. Yeah. And then you hear this beep, beep, beep. And there is this posh Range Rover, just like <laughs> brand new car. That's a, that's a thing, right? In those poor countries, that <clears throat> the country, yeah, the, the, it's the just shocking. Yeah, the, the the gap between poor and rich is is so high in the poorest countries, yeah. and this is like a distribution. It's not kind of even and even out. The, so the yeah. amount of wealth is like a concentrated in, in specific places. But and the contrast, the you know, of the place. Uh, of the smell of the place, uh, extreme poverty that you see through Morocco, mm-hmm. and extra posh cars that you won't be able to see even in Ireland very mm-hmm. often. Yeah, it's, and it's like again the same same story in Bissau. So you have those cars that complete ruin without doors and like yeah. with the you know no windows, all that, and then like like you said, like a new BMWs and like Maserati a, stuff yeah, like yeah, this, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like stuff that you are not expecting to see in, in Africa. Europe. No, even in Europe. Yeah, such concentration like in a big town in mm-hmm. or city mm-hmm. uh, in Morocco. Yeah. So I passed through. Luckily, without any sepsa, sepsis and stuff mm. like this, it was really tough going because, you know, my bike was really big, really mm-hmm. wide. I tried to push through yeah. all the people. Mm-hmm. Still fresh in Morocco, so kind of paranoid mm-hmm. if someone will try to take one of the bags from my panniers mm-hmm. or my yeah. passport or my camera. Oh, so yeah, yeah. 
all these paranoias that you have. And I pushed through. And after a few hours of cycling, I was getting close to the Laracha. It was the end of the trip for me. So I was kind of getting relaxed. You know, it was all mm -hmm. looking great. I started, uh, it was the la last climb, so, mm -hmm. last climb, climb of climb, the day. Yeah. And then suddenly the track that was going from the opposite direction, there was another track behind it and mm -hmm. he started to overtake yeah, the previous it. one. So it's a narrow road and you are faced with two tracks just speeding straight into you. So... You know, it was the chance of either get off the way or be smashed by a truck mm -hmm. because the road is so narrow. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that was left for me is to go to to the ditch. Yeah. Luckily, I was just going uphill, so there wasn't much of momentum and speed. Mm -hmm. So I went off the road and falling from the bike, I managed to stab myself with, um, you know, the ring in front of yeah. your bike yeah yeah the chain ring chain ring yeah so i managed to spike my feet with the chain ring and ah. completely cut my mm, ah. my feet with it wow and all the heel completely destroyed you know it was very very deep cut with the chain yeah. ring and everything so, and i was yeah. like oh god damn it not not looking good yeah but you see, I poured some water uh, that I had mm -hmm. on it, uh, bleeding because it was quite hot, bleeding mm -hmm. stopped mm -hmm. quite fast. Mm -hmm. I decided, you know, there is no point on staying here. Like, what can I do? I have to continue cycling, at least to La Racha, you know, yeah. it's bigger town. So yeah. if I need any help, I'll be able to get some. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, my bike, it survived the second fall. First on the stairs, <laughs> now to the ditch. Was, you know, fat bikes are really good <laughs> when it comes to But fall. this is like a like a huge thing. Like on on those trips, that's why you want to steal bikes. That's what yeah. you want. Everything like Answer. a like a yeah Completely. yeah like not no no not like a finicky carbon fiber no, or anything. No no, no you want to, no you want to steal it. and all that because you might end up in a ditch or like whatever else. Yeah, and I started cycling to. La Racha, and you know a lot of pain mm -hmm. but mostly stress you mm -hmm. know you are i got almost killed by a truck mm -hmm. so a lot of stress and everything and mm -hmm. i'm entering the La Racha, and there is this guy on the moped he just passed me and then maybe 150 meters in front of me he's smashed by a car oh. and you know it's like time freezes mm -hmm. and you see his uh moped just dismantling into hundreds of pieces and this guy is flying in the air Jeez. kind of not knowing you can see this mm -hmm. you know not knowing what's gonna happen then he's hitting the ground breaking his legs both of them you see this you hear the bones. basically like crunch of the breaking bones oh. and this guy just sliding uh, up to the side of the road and hitting the side of the road at the end with his helmet he was really lucky to have his helmet otherwise it's gonna oh, okay. be a fatal one and it's like, you know, second close call mm -hmm. in maybe 40 minutes. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I decided. Did you mention that the place is safe, safest that you would? It is very safe, but uh, it doesn't sound like safe because in forty minutes. When it comes to driving, uh, they are kind of. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. I know what you mean. It's safe in terms of like a social kind of setting. Yes. Safe, not safe when you go on the road or driving or cycling or anything like that. So I decided that that's enough for me. I stopped the first policeman that I. Luckily for the guy that was smashed by the car, mm-hmm. uh, police was just on the other side of the street. The mm-hmm. amount of police in Morocco is really surprising. Mm-hmm. They are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Every major uh, road cross, mm-hmm. every major point in town, mm-hmm. you will find them, at least few of them standing there and mm-hmm. just watching yeah. what's happening. So the guy was very fastly taken care of. Mm-hmm by police they they were obviously trained in you know yeah. fir- first response first aid yeah. and stuff they like saw this. they saw the guys smashed by the car like yeah. every day it was just week. in front of them maybe five meters from them mm. because they were just on the other side yeah. of the street yeah so but like you know based on what you're saying it's not like an uncommon occurring no mm. so i stopped the other policeman i asked him you know what's the closest hotel that i can get that's not very expensive mm-hmm. he showed me the place it took me some time to find it properly and i was so tired so stressed uh you know it was like too much happened that mm-hmm. day for me yep and the hotel was on the first floor <laughs> so i had my 55 kilos bike very steep stairs mm-hmm. the hotel and uh the guy in the hotel he was like friendly but obviously trying to rip me off so mm-hmm. firstly he asked for 50 euros for a night and mm-hmm. I said, like, come on, man, you know, mm-hmm. I know what her, what the prices are in Morocco. You know what the prices are in Morocco. Don't be silly. So <laughs> it took us maybe 10 minutes of, you know, good haggling just mm-hmm. to get uh, the price down. Mm-hmm. So I ended up paying 14 euros for a night, which is twice as much as locals pay. Mm-hmm. But I had a room all for myself. Yeah. And he even helped me with some of the bugs upstairs so it was really good and i started watching my feet and it was really like you know the skin was torn apart Mm -hmm. and i decided that there is no point on going to the hospital like what hospital can do for me yeah yeah probably the same thing that you can do for you with the first aid kit and i had a bag of um, a bottle of super glue Mm -hmm. so basically i opened the wound i poured the super glue inside closed the wound pour some more super glue on it Surprisingly, super glue <laughs> was made for closing yeah. the wounds. Yeah, yeah. It's a military stuff yeah. and it works really miracles. Yeah. But I started thinking, you know, if following this road uh, from La Racha, the next steps were getting close to the Rabat, which is the capital of Morocco, then Casablanca. Mm-hmm. So I decided to hitch a train mm-hmm. and cover the road to Casablanca by train. Mm-hmm. surprisingly it was impossible because i ended up with the end of holidays in morocco mm-hmm. so all the trains were completely full i had to take a bus by bus i got to casablanca mm-hmm. and then from casablanca i started cycling forward south wow. a few days later i reached my friend uh he's uh, an angler so hang on hang on hang on a second because you're you're, you're like you covered in great detail two days yeah so at the end of day three was it you're in casablanca day four yeah day I'm four. in casablanca okay and then you're like 
another couple of days is just like uneventful cycling through the desert or how does no that th- that's the other thing there, there is no desert there there hmm. is no desert there is no wildlife it's highly urbanized highly civilized area you are cycling on hmm. the tarmac on a normal road okay you on me on the fat bike was just absurd it it was like riding a tractor you know on m15 Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> this this level of absurd right there's no point on bringing a mountain bike even mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. any gravel bike even road bike mm-hmm. is much more suitable for such a trip mm-hmm. than a fat bike mm-hmm. yeah so it was like this thing that was kind of like oh this guy is like totally out of place here not only yeah. slightly out of place he's <laughs> like a totally out of yeah. place completely and i met tons of really nice people mm-hmm. people with very strange histories mm-hmm. uh, old campsite probably built even by french mm-hmm. because it was really old mm-hmm. run by a moroccan guy mm-hmm. who was sitting there with his uh, small yellow chickens <laughs> that were his closest family <laughs> and surprisingly drinking wine <laughs> <laughs> of course like what, what else would you do <laughs> uh, it's a muslim country so that's oh, the yeah. only person i met uh, drinking alcohol mm. and he's just like oh, i don't care anymore mm. so i managed to land at my friend's house mm-hmm. uh, it's in el qualidia mm-hmm. so you're like right now like in like week in weekend into my trip around mm-hmm. 600 kilometers from Tangier mm-hmm. I'm landing in my friend's his name is Karim mm-hmm. uh, in, I'm landing at his house and you know I'm trying to explain my trip farther to mm-hmm. Dakla he was fishing in Dakla before once uh, with okay. his cousin or mm-hmm. uh, brother and I see that he's getting really concerned then mm-hmm. he asked his father uh, his father that's an epic fig- figure, mm-hmm. honestly. Like the man is so strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's seventy-two or seventy-four at this stage, mm-hmm. um, fishing almost every day. Great fisherman, mm-hmm. catching tons of bass. The mm-hmm. bass that they are getting there, twelve kilos, fourteen kilos. Was it striper bass or whatever? No, the... that's just a sea bass. The same that we have. Oh, here. just the same sea bass <laughs> yeah. that we have. European sea bass. Yeah, in mm. Morocco they grow much larger. Right. And I started warmer waters, more food. I think so, yeah. And I started chatting with his father through Karim, he was doing mm-hmm. translation, then with his brother, then with his friend, and they were all like, Man, it's not gonna work, you know, like the road is impossible. And I told them it's not possible because I knew about so many people that are cycling to mm-hmm. e- even much farther than Dakla. Yeah. And they said, Yes, of course, but not at this season. Oh, apparently September is the hottest month uh, in Morocco uh, with average temperatures well over 40 degrees. Wow. It's not August, it's not July, it's September. Mm-hmm. Then what they said, uh, September is the time that snakes are getting really active. Mm-hmm. So they have this uh, puffer snake or mm-hmm. puffer adder, that's how it's called, okay. which is very venomous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, not a neurotoxin, mm-hmm. but it's just a toxin that destroys your muscles completely. Right. And they said every single year around September, people are being beaten. If you are beaten somewhere around the head, you are dead. 
They mm-hmm. said like no one will be able to deliver you to hospital fast enough mm-hmm. to save you. Especially uh, yourself on the bike won't be able uh, to th- deliver. They said that even, you know, because um, mm. the area is highly populated. Okay. Tons of cars. So it's not like you are middle of nowhere mm-hmm. all by your own. Mm-hmm. Still. Still, it's very, very dangerous. And mm-hmm. they said once you get to the Agadir, which was probably around next 400 kilometers from Al-Qualidia, mm-hmm. they said the snake problem is no longer a problem. Mm-hmm. But they said uh, from Agadir or farther, you will get the packs of wild dogs. Mm-hmm. The dogs that were brought there by Bedouin mm-hmm. for... Like a feral dog. Feral dogs, completely wild feral. Mm-hmm. And they said, basically, they are kind of like a wolves hunting mm-hmm. there. Right. And they said, uh, you see, the problem in summer is uh, during the winter time, it's safe because they hunt through the day. And through the day, dogs won't attack you. They are too scared, too afraid, mm-hmm. even if there is pack of them. Mm-hmm. And because it's cold at night, they are sleeping through the night. Mm-hmm. During the September, it's so hot through the day that they are sleeping through the day. And hunting through the night. Hunting through the night when they are kind of getting extra points for mm-hmm. <laughs> being aggressive and everything. Yeah. And they said... And you sleeping at night and that's where the and they said, comes from. Yeah. And they said, you know, it's deadly dangerous. Every single year people are being just mauled to death. Mm. By dogs. By dogs. I heard, I heard that the, in India that the feral dogs are a big problem in India as well. Yeah. So the problem with dogs, um, I have friends from Libya. He used to live in Libya. His mother worked in the hospital. He was mm-hmm. a nurse. She was a nurse in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he confirmed the same thing. He said, like, every single summer we got dozens of people mauled by dogs. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's really dangerous. It's not like they're going to bite you once. They will try to kill you. Yeah. And yeah, that, that, that's what they said, you know, if your total weight is lighter than the pack of dogs and they said it's 10 of them 15 of them 20 of them Mm -hmm. uh you are just being considered as food Mm -hmm. because they are just hunting them and they said you know even though your road is quite well planned you want to cover only 70 kilometers from day by day Mm -hmm. and you have the checkpoints planned Mm -hmm. Uh, fishing villages uh, Mm -hmm. petrol stations places like this Mm -hmm. that you know there are people and Dogs won't be uh, such an issue. They said, still, what's going to happen if you fall from bike? What's going to happen if you get a flat tire? You will lose maybe an hour, maybe two hours, maybe three hours. Yeah. Something happens. You're getting into the night. You are getting into the night and you are forced to sleep outside alone. Mm-hmm. You cannot sleep by the road because it's too dangerous. So you have to move maybe 200, 300 meters from the road. Mm-hmm. And then you are just an easy prey for those dogs. And they will find you because... They oh, yeah, will, they have a smell. They have a smell. And you you're, and you're, and you're, you. and you're stinky rock and roll animal. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they said, you know, it's just basically... They said, like, of course, there is a chance that you will be able to make it through that, mm-hmm. to Dakla without any problem. Mm-hmm. But they said, if you run into the problem, mm-hmm. it won't be like you know, dodging a truck on the road and hitting a ditch. Mm-hmm. They said, if you survive so such problems, you'll be really, really lucky and probably really destroyed by those dogs. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my idea was, you know, if you are chatting with three guys which are fishermen, one of them is ex-military, mm-hmm. and they are all saying to you, like, 
no. they probably know what they're not saying. S- not the best idea, you know, it's close to suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I decided that there is no point on pushing forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to change my plans mm-hmm. because, you know, the Dakla was the ultimate goal. Just to so how to many Dakla. kilometers you covered to that point? Between five and six hundred. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, with part being taken by bus, so you know, probably. Oh yeah, but I mean, like that only adds adds the you know kudos points to the the (laughs) whole story. (laughs) So uh, I stayed there for whole day. Mm -hmm. We went uh, fishing for a while Mm -hmm. with Karim. Mm -hmm. Just basically, I was so tired after a few days without any stop. That's the other thing that I didn't took into consideration. That after every three, four, maximum five days. You should have a day rest. Day or day of rest, maybe two, even two days if it was five days of cycling. Mm. And there I was, seven days of cycling, totally wasted and mm. weak, so weak that I was not even much interested in fishing, which is not a normal thing wow, for me. Wow, that's really yeah, but you were really in a bad shape. Then. Yeah, <laughs> and Karim took me. He was showing me places. He invited mm. some friends and mm. his brother. And we, I spent really good days uh, mm. with his family. And the following day, he said, like, if I want to go back, he said, like, you can push to Safi, you can push to Agadir, mm-hmm. uh, those snakes, if you are aware of them. Mm-hmm. He said, like, those snakes won't be such a problem. But for me, a shocking thing was on my last day, as I was reaching his village mm-hmm. or his town that he's living in, mm-hmm. Uh, the amount of s- dead snakes uh, roadkill on the road yeah. was really surprising. Like, uh, yeah. I think I met eight or fifteen of them. Did you give give you idea how how, yeah, how many and, of them are? Yeah, and he said like, area. no, those snakes are not dangerous. They are just calls, called called uh, mouse snakes. They are just feeding on mouse. Mm-hmm. But he said maybe fifty kilometers farther, mm-hmm. uh, you get to the rocky area. Mm-hmm. From the farmlands, you are mm-hmm. reaching the rocky areas. And he said, that's the dangerous snakes. They they are living through these rocks. And Mm. he said, even one year before, a Mm. policeman, a local policeman who's Mm. well known to the dangers of the area, was killed by a snake. Wow. He was, uh, it was really hot day. Mm. And he wanted to get uh, through the shadow under Mm. the tree. And the snake was just waiting on the branch of the tree. Mm -hmm. And he got so close, he didn't see the snake. Right. Snake bite him into his neck. They were unable to give him help before he was dead. Wow. So he says, like, you know, you can go as far as Agadir. It's quite safe. Mm-hmm. Except of the deadly snakes, of course, mm. and scorpions. But uh, he says, from from there on, it's going to be really hard to come back and help you with coming back. Mm-hmm. If you want to go, come back to Europe, leave your bike and continue hitchhiking or something like this yeah so i decided that it's not worth risking yeah uh, next day his uncle was going back to el jadida mm-hmm. which is kind of first stop on the way back mm-hmm. so they parked my bike on his huge truck mm-hmm. one of those moroccan trucks mm-hmm. and he gave me a lift on his truck mm-hmm. great experience you know right now uh, you now you could experience all that from the from the cubby of the truck yeah and he was <laughs> sitting in the car and you know he was really proud of his truck you, you, you see that it's you know a man 
riding a beast. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. like, that's my truck. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Yeah. It's, you know, all the ethos of truck drivers. Mm-hmm. It was just like archetype yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, with his long mustache, like uh-huh. uh, proper truck driver mustache. <laughs> And the guy was great, really great. Mm-hmm. And he drove me back to Jadida. From mm-hmm. Jadida, I managed to get a bus to mm-hmm. Casablanca and from Casablanca to Tangier. Uh-huh. So it was really surprising because, you know... How, all, how long it took you to go, go back compared that's to... That's the best thing. You know, a week of cycling and going back took me probably nine hours. Oh, nine hours, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought oh you were going to say like a two days. Or no, like... no, no. I started early in the morning, but uh, in the uh, late evening, mm-hmm. I was uh, in the apartment in Spain, right. in a bath, you know, sitting and oh, <laughs> yeah, soaking. <laughs> well, was it uh, was it like a relief, or or was it like what's what was going through your mind? Were you, were you disappointed by the outcome, or were no. you like happy that you completely got... not? Because uh, you see. For me, it was like uh, continuing, pushing forward would be just insane bravery. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm too old for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be like you said, it would be borderline suicidal. Yeah. Mm. And it is possible. Mm. It is doable. Uh, but they said, not alone, mm-hmm. not unprepared, not at mm. this time of the year. Right. Are you, are you allowed to have a firearm? To be honest, I... You don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. And but because I never had one, so yeah. it, it never crossed my mind. Yeah, I mean, like you know, from the self defense of the this, these, I'm thinking about those dogs. I don't think that it will give you a lot. You know, if you are sleeping in a tent and then suddenly you are attacked by dozen of them. Oh yeah, but I mean, like the before the, you are the, able the, to the find no, your the, fire, the, no, the, no, the noise itself. Yeah, maybe. Would probably do. O- honestly, uh, you you you'd rather not try it. <laughs> yeah, the heaviest weapon I ever got in my life was a slingshot. So <laughs> I don't think. That no, that might not work. That actually might not work. But I don't think that it will do yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. So I came back to Spain. I left my bike. Uh, I had maybe ten days of break. So you left your bike where in in Morocco? No, in Spain. Oh, in Spain. Oh, you left your bike in Spain. Okay, sorry. Yeah. And uh, because I was passing through, I've done all the research on the buses, mm-hmm. those long-range buses that are mm-hmm. going through Morocco. And surprisingly, I found a solution. Which so you is... said, like, I'm not giving up easily. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> so I decided that there is no point on going hitchhiking because mm-hmm. it will just add extra time for me. Mm-hmm. And because of the language barrier. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking French at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so French, French would be the language to use. The there. language, yeah. They will be using Spanish around the Tangier area because mm-hmm. it's so close to Spain. Yeah. And but then further, further, s- further south in Dakla because it used to be a Spanish colony. Mm-hmm. But French is the language to use. Mm. So, um, yeah, I went with ferry. Then I took a bus uh, from... Tangier to Casablanca. Mm-hmm. In Casablanca, I switched bus to Agadir. Mm-hmm. And from the Agadir, I managed to get a bus uh, to Dakla. So you're going the same same route again. And now for yeah. a comparison, how long did that take? Two days. Two days. Two days and, in a bus. And listen, was it like 
you were aware of that from from day one except you you want to do it on the bike no or no. I, you... I never had an idea that you can get a bus and those buses are really cheap i think that right. uh that so you would do that in the first place you would go buy a bus if, if you only knew yes Is probably. that what you're saying yes okay. probably hmm it's only like 70 euros for a ticket from Tangier to Dakla over 2000 kilometers wow. so it's not too bad the problem is that you are spending two days in a bus which is kind of crowded so you it's know, not like a comfy, uh, no. comfy air conditioned it is oh it is oh yeah that's not that bad that's the company they're called CTM mm -hmm. uh, they are the proper bus company mm -hmm. their buses are more expensive Mm -hmm. but you know you are always sure that the drivers are qualified you're always sure that they are not tires uh, you have the air condition mm -hmm. all the proper kind of oh, okay. it's like an airline airline mm -hmm. but going by bus yeah you even have to register your luggage uh, mm -hmm. check in your luggage they will take it from for you pack it to the bus right. for you and then if you want to get it back you are just showing the id Okay. And sticker you have for okay. your luggage. Okay. And so the proper. So I managed to land in Dakla. Mm -hmm. I met with uh, Karim. Again? Again, because he moved uh, to Dakla just to fish with us. Okay. Uh, for a few days, I stayed with his friend. Uh, I was waiting for my friend from Spain to join us. Mm -hmm. And for a few days, uh, we've been waiting for him together. Mm hmm We managed only, I think, two fishing trips in mm. those days because we didn't have a car. Okay. And we've been waiting for our other friend mm -hmm. for a car. So we found the beach mm -hmm. uh, that was promising. I saw the beach on some of the photos of other anglers mm -hmm. uh, getting the lure fish. So I knew that, you know, it's kind of more or less the spot that we should be fishing at. Yeah. And the night before we went fishing, uh, Karim, he was telling me about this so-called camel fish. Yeah. I never heard about this fish before. And mm -hmm. he said, like, it's a really popular here. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's really cool looking, awesome fish. But unfortunately, you are fishing with uh, lures. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to catch this fish on a lure. Mm. Karim is a hardcore bait angler. Okay. He's really like into bait angling, you know, mm -hmm. using sardines or crabs or worms, yeah. stuff like this. That's his territory. He's not um, much into lure angling. Mm -hmm. And he said, like, you're just making things for you very difficult, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, if we went bait fishing, we'll mm -hmm. get a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. uh, lure fishing, probably we get nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was telling me about this camel fish you know mm -hmm. it's a great fish uh, so often here so powerful and yeah. so we stopped on the beach the last photo I had was probably just before three o'clock mm -hmm. it was him preparing a lunch mm -hmm. then the next photo is five past maybe seven minutes later with the fish it was <laughs> the camel fish it took a popper <laughs> uh, apparently camel fish is pompano okay which is quite common fish in yeah. the western africa yeah. and uh, yeah. one of the best lure fish <laughs> you can get yeah there. yeah very good fight they call it camel fish they call this camel fish because of the hump on, yeah on the back yeah. it's a local name never heard that name never heard yeah. it never heard it's a local name in dakla mm. uh, 
Hmm. And the same way, I think they called uh, leerfish, uh, wolffish. There. Wolffish, okay. So the smash on the popper, you know, it was just like doing a pop, pop, pop. And then by the edge of the eye, you see, by the corner of the eye, you know, this shape appearing from the water. Hmm. The, uh, you know, the aggression in the attack. The first yeah. run was probably around 50 meters. Yeah. And then I knew it's not a uh, leerfish uh, because, you know, everyone was always telling me if you get a decent sight leerfish, 150, 200 meters, that's the first run mm -hmm. every single time. Yeah. So because fish stopped around maybe after 50, maximum 80 meters, I knew that it's not a leerfish. Mm -hmm. It's something different. Mm -hmm. Really good fighter, and I was really surprised. To they're they're unreal, right? Those hot water, like a like a fish that lives in the hot waters and the warm waters, they're so aggressive and so yeah. like there's quite different uh, the, story. You know, like if you compare them to sea bass, which is kind of ah, oh, maybe I will take it, maybe I will not. Oh, sniffing, no, it's like, biting. It's, it's like no, no, no doubt. Th they are just psychotic. They are there to murder. Like and... like yeah, like fishing for jacks. They're, you're sometimes yep. like a, one fish is hooked up. And the other fish is trying to rip the lure out of the mouth of the first yeah, fish. Yeah, they, yeah, they're still yeah. fighting. It's like, it's the same is happening with bluefish. Mm. Every single time we got one, we've been always saying, you know, cast in that direction because there'll be plenty of other mm. following and, you know, yeah. we'll get a second hookup. Yeah, yeah. So I got that fish. And surprisingly, it was the only fish we got in 10 days fishing there. Oh. So not very good. Mm. Uh, we've been covering different places. Mm -hmm. uh, it took us a few days to learn the beach. Mm -hmm. You know, it, for Karim, it was kind of a new place. Mm -hmm. He fished there maybe once before. Yeah. And he's a bait fishing guy. So yeah. for him giving us any advice, you know, where to look for them, how to look for them, yeah. what time of the tide to look for them and yeah. where, yeah. was really difficult. Yeah. He's just, just not in that top type of fishing. Yeah. So it took us a uh, few days just to get the idea where those fish are, mm -hmm. how they are moving. The problem was we've been based in Dakla. Our hotel was in Dakla. So mm -hmm. every single day we had to drive from Dakla to the place, which was around 90 kilometers. Mm -hmm. If you want to be there early, you have to drive by night. Mm -hmm. And the single most important thing that everyone hears when, when going to Africa is don't drive in Africa by night <laughs> <laughs> because you get camels, because you get trucks, because you get trucks without lights on. Mm -hmm. uh, we had few really dangerous incidents. So mm. we decided that no, it's not risk uh, driving at night. Mm. We've been leaving around first down. Yeah. And, you know, once we've been reaching the beach, it was around maybe nine o'clock. So okay. we've been a bit too late. Mm. The other problem was from the place that you can reach by a car to the place that you can be fishing. It was around three, maybe four kilometers of walking through the Sahara. Right. So sand, small dunes, yeah. uh, really soft sand. Yeah. Uh, three, four kilometers, at least an hour. Yeah. So once we've been getting there, we've been really tired. <laughs> oh, Fed up with everything. Yeah. Yeah. And how long you stay there? Like ah, ten days. Ten, We've day. been there for ten, ten days. days. Uh, my friend and from then... Spain, he flew for five days only. Mm -hmm. We managed only to get one pompano. Mm -hmm. We had few follows, few hookups, few mm -hmm. fish we lost, few mm -hmm. fish that were following our lures. Mm -hmm. 
but because we've been too late because there was not much action yeah we never managed to get anything yeah. more yeah a positive thing we managed to find a guide local mm-hmm. one uh-huh. who's really specializing in catching lurefish mm-hmm. he has uh, all the campsite just on the shore of the beach mm-hmm. so it's so simple as uh, you know you're putting your crocs on mm-hmm. walking out of the tent walking maybe so where's the next meters. time so where's the next time you're going September okay that's it's all done <laughs> yeah, we are going in September <laughs> oh man that's that's just awesome and then so after 10 days or whatever you've been there you just you just you know came back by bus came back by bus two oh, days man. extra by Moroccan bus yeah, that, that's adventure that's, that's, that's absolutely like like you know like your angler your bike packer and your adventurer like a proper one I mean like man that's yeah, a proper that, that's, proper uh, adventure That that was the really funny thing uh, because um, on my way back there there was a huge storm hitting Portugal and mm. Spain mm-hmm. that day, uh, winds reaching hundred kilometers mm-hmm. per hour. Uh, luckily, it was going a bit different way, so it didn't went through the strait. It went through the Portugal, uh-huh. but all the ferries were not going there. Mm-hmm. And I was stuck in Tangier because ferries from Tangier, because the port is shallow, they are small ferries which mm-hmm. are unable to go in the rough weather. Mm-hmm. And they told me you have to go to Tangier Med again mm-hmm. <laughs> because the big ferry to Algeciras yeah. is going from Tangier Med. So I had to manage to get a cab mm-hmm. from Tangier to Tangier Med because there is no bus, no communication, nothing like this. And just getting a taxi in Morocco is adventure is, itself yeah by so <laughs> and because those t- taxis are big six people seven people inside mm-hmm. they, they are small vans yeah um i decided that there is no point on me paying for the whole taxi we are just mm-hmm. because it's so many of other travelers stranded mm-hmm. there waiting for a ferry mm-hmm. so i started uh, gathering people and said i said you know i'm going to tangier met i need five more people mm-hmm. so once i had the group once i had the price agreed with the taxi driver and, and you know it was all a go yeah it was raining so heavily that day like in ireland you are in morocco and it's just pouring with rain mm-hmm. and because of the storm yeah and then there is this guy coming with his daughter she's maybe two maybe three years old and he's like man, please, uh, can you give me your place in the taxi? Because I'm stuck here for so many hours. She's basically all soaked wet. I don't have clothes for changing everything. Mm-hmm. It's all waiting for us in Spain. Mm-hmm. And we are stuck in Morocco. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Uh, all my followers for my trip, they were already in the taxi yeah. because I was organizing the ride. I was yeah. the last one standing outside. Yeah okay you know <laughs> children first so he packed to the truck and i was back to square one you know finding oh, another group of uh, five people to share the taxi okay but finally i managed to get to the ferry point okay and i was <laughs> chatting with, kudos to you man you gave him your, yeah, your spot but i was chatting with older couple there mm-hmm. they were from spain they were just visiting morocco mm-hmm. and they were saying like why you went so far just to get one fish <laughs> you and don't said, understand people <laughs> and they said and you are not even eating those fish <laughs> and they were like what's wrong with we've, you we've been there we've been there like yeah. we got this covered right <laughs> this discussion <laughs> yeah so 
Yeah. Mm. At the end, they called me the Adventurista. Adventurista, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I can confirm that. And they are, the, they were laughing. That's uh, because in Polish, mm-hmm. uh, in Spanish, is Polaco. Yeah. yeah, and crazy, in Spanish, is loco. So they said Polaco loco. They said it's kind of it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you heard that. It's a little bit of tangent, but uh, my uh, my friend who lives in in Barcelona, which is Spain, but it's not not Spain. Really. It's Catalonia. It's Catalonia. It's not Spain. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so they are actually. Um, I just wanted to, to not to butcher that, but I think is that that Catalonians calling Spaniards or maybe it's Spaniards Catalunias but I think that Catalonia is calling Spaniards Polacos because it's a different way it's uh, the other way Spaniards around. are calling Catalonias Polacos but the other way around yeah it's really surprising uh, because uh, when you are telling that you are a Polaco yeah. they are always thinking S- that you are from northern Spain from <laughs> Catalonia <laughs> and they are like oh hmm. Really, you don't speak Spanish much, sir. <laughs> no, I'm the proper Polaco. I'm, I'm like a real one. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic uh, adventure, man. I think that there is another important thing to the trip. Mm-hmm. Why I decided to go by the bike? Finally, when I decided that you know, bike is the answer. Mm-hmm. I decided to do this as a fundraiser, mm-hmm. and. Um, there is this foundation in Ireland. Mm-hmm. They are called Our.ie. Mm-hmm. Our, like a one hour? H-O-U. No, like being aware of something. Or aware, okay. Aware. Our, <laughs> yeah, sorry for that. A-W, no, okay. So uh, they are the foundation helping people struggling with depression, mm-hmm. with bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really tough subject in Ireland. I think that... Mm-hmm. It's yep. being completely ignored by the government mm-hmm. and the time that you have to wait, especially in rural, 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 rural. yeah, <laughs> that's word. Especially if you are not living in a city, mm-hmm. uh, to see a specialist. Yeah, uh, if you have any mental problems, yeah, depression, yeah, uh, suicide tendencies, yeah. things like this, yeah. You are waiting three months. You are waiting six months. Yeah, it's just a joke. Yeah. So our data, they are providing really needed support in smaller towns, mm-hmm. bigger towns, cities, uh, support groups, uh, phone calls that you can call, yeah. intervention groups. They are providing all the valued support. So yeah. I decided that because myself, I'm dealing with depression for mm-hmm. years now, like. Mm-hmm. 10 years, nine years, yeah. I decided that it's really good to support them. Yeah. So I started a small fundraiser for the trip. Yeah. Uh, though the fundraiser is closed, uh, that's the thing that I would like to pass, pass yeah. through the podcast. Oh, that's a, that's a, if that's you a, are that's able to important. help them, uh, they do have the fundraiser on their page. So please do. Yeah. We'll but, put it, we'll put a, a link on the show notes and, uh, just when you're when you're talking about that, you know, we already spoke on the, on the mental health issue on the, on issues on the podcast before, um, and uh, by the time this episode airs, there's going to be another episode out uh, related to mental health and and so on, and I was uh, surprised with the response uh, to those episodes, 
which are you know like to me initially it was like well you know we're gonna talk about how the outdoors does good to your mental health and and so yeah, on okay really and then man like a response was like tremendous i never expected that there were so many people you know responding and leaving comments and so on and so on on the episodes related to mental health so like you, you said it's, it's it is a big problem in ireland this problem is completely ignored i think but by most of the society by government by health services mm-hmm. If you look at these statistics, depression is the number one killer of men younger than 45. Mm-hmm. Not car accidents, not heart diseases, mm-hmm. not cancer. Mm-hmm. It's suicide. Mm-hmm. Suicide, which is always linked with depression. Mm-hmm. Most of the times it's linked with mm-hmm. depression. Uh, Do you think it's because of the lack of the sun? Is, is because of the weather? It's obviously, it's it... one of the factors, but I think it's uh, just the general attitude uh, in the society. You have mm-hmm. to be a successful person. You have to reach for the stars. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Be the best. Uh, have Keep a mortgage. Keep the rest of yeah. the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that as much as I really love Ireland and mm-hmm. Irish people, I think that the attitude, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. How are you doing? I'm mm-hmm. really grand. It's mm-hmm. not helping. Mm-hmm. The idea that people, from my perspective, as an mm-hmm. immigrant, as a Polish person in mm-hmm. Ireland, uh, Irish people are not very keen on having a, any deeper, more, more personal conversation yep. with their friends, with their colleagues. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think uh, it's really everything really very shallow, like uh, on the surface. And I like... wouldn't say this, but I think that there is a huge stigmatization and tabooization when it comes to mental health. Yeah, and that's a huge problem in our society. I agree. Here. That's that's again that's again kind of reoccurring theme, you know, yep. that I that I heard like many times. And there's like uh, even uh, you know like a mental mental health hour on Twitter, and like there's a lot of people. I think there's a like you're saying uh with the organization like aware and others there is a this kind of like a grassroots movement for no one of better word of people's kind of and pushing and saying like really hey happening mm, uh, yeah especially in ireland you live in communities and those small communities are always very close mm-hmm. uh like even not being from Ireland, even being an immigrant, mm-hmm. I'm really close with my neighbors, with friends of my sons, mm-hmm. uh, parents of uh, friends of my son mm-hmm. from school. Yeah. Last year, one of the fathers uh, committed suicide. Mm. One of the fathers in his class committed yeah. suicide. I think it's really impacting all the community mm-hmm. if such things are happening on a regular basis, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is a lot of movement. Like every single year, the St. Patrick Parade is opened by people hang- going with a banner. It's okay not to be okay. Yep. If you are in a trouble, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Seek advice. Yeah, there's this this uh, this cycle cycle against the suicide. Yes, which is uh, a colleague of mine is one of the organizer of that that's why i started cycling because um are you gonna are you you planning to take part in the cycling against the suicide next year i never heard about this before oh look look it up man it's like a uh, i think it's like a 10-day event and and you don't have to take part like very few people take part in the whole 10 day because they're like starting on the on the on the north 
and then like they cover it a hundred kilometers every day. Ah, that's something for me. And they going like a one hop, 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 and they going from that's north perfect. to south of Ireland. And along the way, this is this. They have this like orange shirt, and it's like a cycling against the suicide. You know, shoulder to shoulder. Great it's idea. okay to not Great be okay. Idea. That's going on for a number of years. I think. I think I. I. Uh, you know, I should have a gym on the podcast for to, sure. to talk about the to talk about the the this event. And uh, so look it up. Cycle against the suicide. Very going for many years, and this is exactly to to raise the awareness and and and, and see, kind of get the people out and do something. Because, like, like I mean, like, uh, what you're doing essentially, like, I I think, and I don't know if you can confirm that, but I think that helps a lot. That you're that you get out and you do something, you do something crazy, and you cycle, you know, through Morocco, and you like that kind of puts the perspective into everything else that's going on. And, and I think that not enough people have, uh, you know, quite frankly, balls to do that, but also other means. Uh, but the thing is, it's so simple. If you want to go cycling, you really don't need a super duper bike. Hmm? You really don't need uh, to prepare yourself. You don't need any extra stuff, tackle. You just need to want to go outside. Yeah. You don't need you like you don't need to do that like you, you mentioned like this keeping up with others like you don't need to have this latest no, carbon no, fiber no, no, no. bike really with the fast wheels you just you can like yeah you really like can just... get a bike from a shed from a shed mm. except of my fat bike up until now my number one bike that I was cycling is twenty three years old old steel marine bike mm. that my parents gave me when I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by any standard of modern cycling, it's just vintage it and is. completely old it school. Is. It is. It's working. And I know that uh, I trust this bike and mm. even tomorrow. We were we were looking at your bikes before we started recording. Yeah. They are steel bikes. The steel is for real, man. Yeah, steel they are great. <laughs> Maybe a bit heavier, but they are really good. Oh, who cares? But my point is uh, you don't need any extra preparation. You don't mm -hmm. need uh, any extra stuff uh, it's really affordable there are so many ways uh, if you look on the internet there is this Eurovelo yeah. there are roads across the Europe that mm -hmm. you can travel there are special cycle paths that you are safe mm -hmm. from the cars no yeah. one will hit you mm -hmm. uh, you can cover thousands of kilometers yeah. by almost for nothing You know, the cost is just so low most of the ferries will get you with your bicycle for a standard foot passenger mm -hmm. price because a uh, bicycle is not being considered a motor. Yeah. They will just get it for you for free. Yeah. Uh, you can fly with your bicycle for, I think, 40 euros with Ryanair. Mm -hmm. Anywhere you want. And you can just get in your bicycle, start cycling. Yeah. And you see how, you will find out how much fun it is. No doubt. No doubt. And when it comes to depression, I think that it's really not good that people are ashamed of talking about this. Mm -hmm. uh, and the attitude that it's a mental problem, so it's something that you can keep on, like, you know, get yourself, pull yourself together, mm -hmm. stuff like this. No, it's a physical condition. Mm -hmm. It's the stuff in your brain not working properly. The neurotransmitters in your brain not working properly. If you are having diabetes, no mm -hmm. one is coming to you and saying like, 
you know, get your act together and stop having diabetes. <laughs> uh, that even sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That, that's my point. But any person with depression will hear this so mm. many times in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's, you know, what's your what's your view? Is it like becoming so um, conditioned that is that people suffer so often in the recent time? Or is it just only in the recent time people start talking about it and it was going on for for a long time? Is it I like think, a, is it like a recently more or, or is it like yes? I think it's a recent. Uh, it's epidemic. Why and why? What's your lifestyle? I think that because mm. we are so separated from the nature, ah. we are so separated from the outdoors. Mm-hmm. We are so separated from the real life that's going. Uh, we are so obsessed with uh, owning stuff. Mm-hmm. We are so separated mm-hmm. and alienated by mobile devices, social media. That shit is gaming, crazy. Uh, that's, that is crazy. And that's, again, something that is coming on the podcast over and over yeah. again. You know, like a switch of your damn devices. I even have a, another episode of the podcast. Again, it's, it's, it's going to be up by the time this one airs where we're talking about the digital detox. Or it's like a switch off your damn phone, man. That, like... That's what I. That's what I'm doing very often, and mm-hmm. uh, trying to switch off for a few days, mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. I'm running the pirate lures. Mm-hmm. I'm unable to do this permanently. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's really tempting. Yeah, listen, man. It, it was a it was a fantastic conversation. You know, I, I'm I'm just wondering about the title of this podcast, but it's gonna be. <laughs> Uh, angling whether it's gonna be bike packing whether it's gonna be you know adventuring or like like with a with a uh very important message uh at the end about the mental health and uh and uh and, uh, and a fighting depression so just to summarize uh www.piratelures.com that's your website that's my website where people will be able to buy you know greatest lures in Hardly. ireland or in maybe ireland. in the world uh, that's one um then it's your uh, your your new Instagram account, one legged bikepacker. One legged back bikepacker. Uh, is it backpacker or bikepacker? Bikepacker. Bikepacker. That's the play of words. That, that, yeah. That's actually how we are describing this. Yeah. Uh, traveling light by bike with small uh, small bags attached to your yeah. bike yeah. instead of panniers, heavy, right? Yes. Yes, the exactly. old days. Exactly. So one leg and bike packer is your Instagram account. Yep. And also uh, aware.ie. Aware.ie. That's a charity. Um, that And they really do the work. Mm-hmm. If you need help, they will mm-hmm. help you. If you can help, help them. That's, that's a, as simple as that. That's a powerful message, man. Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, up.
You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.